Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. President Trump likely suffered through one of the worst days of his presidency yesterday as he watched his former fixer plead guilty in a New York courtroom and his former campaign chairman become a convicted felon in a Washington court. Speaking in Washington yesterday, President Trump once again called the Mueller investigation a disgrace. I feel badly for both. Uh, I must tell you that Paul Manafort's a good man. He was with Ronald Reagan. He was with uh, a lot of different people over the years. And I feel very sad about that. Joining us is Kevin Whitelaw, Bloomberg News Deputy Managing Editor. He's in our Bloomberg 99.1 studios in Washington. Kevin, yesterday, President Trump refrained from commenting on Michael Cohen. But today, there were four tweets uh, about the situation, two about Michael Cohen and two about Manafort. What kind of effect is this going to have on his presidency? Big question, but you can... <laughs> well, you know, we're, we were sort of watching yesterday, and, and I think the, the double-barreled, the, the timing of, of obviously the, the, the verdict and the plea were, were, was somewhat coincidental, but, but it's a really important illustration of what has changed in this presidency. For a long time, everyone's been focused on the Mueller probe, the Mueller probe, and, and, and the, the, the White House and Trump have spent all of this time now trying to work to undermine it and do all of this. And now there's an entirely separate, independent investigation that has the potential, the potential, I should say, to reach the president on something that has nothing to do with Russia and nothing to do at this point with Robert Mueller. Um, that's a really important thing to understand because it, it does mean that, that uh, you know, you, you, if he if – he, Trump somehow manages to kill off or fend off or 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 uh, survive one investigation. There's still a, another one potentially out there, one that is maybe just getting started. So then, how does this play out politically? Well, you know, you, it does mean that whatever happens is going to last beyond the midterms. Uh, in a way that uh, I mean, the, the Mueller probe was probably going to last beyond the midterms anyway. Now the, the, this other one definitely will. So, you know, it gives Mueller some cover. Um, it, it gives Trump something else to have to have to defend against and to, to address. And it, so the distraction level is incredible. Um, the potential for other risks. Um, does this lead uh, an investigation into Trump's business? Does this, um, you know, into Trump organization? Does this go into even more people in his campaign? I mean, we now really have the prospect of three of his top 
campaign advisors are now either, you know, pled guilty or been convicted. You've got uh, uh, – the two, you also separately have the two, first two House Republicans who, who endorsed him have been indicted on unrelated charges. He, he's really sort of suddenly surrounded by a whole bunch of people who, who find themselves in significant legal trouble. And so that leaves him um, increasingly isolated. It leaves it much harder for him to work his way uh, in, in Washington. Uh, if, if, uh, if this helps the Democrats in the midterms, uh, maybe it helps give them a, a, a strong margin in the House. So suddenly you've got a whole additional level of oversight and uh, subpoenas, investigations and hearings going on from that side. You know, so at some point then the question does become is this does does his presidency become a liability for the Republican Party as they start to look ahead towards 2020? That's if you cast it out quite a long ways. Kevin, um, what influence might it have on policymaking? Is he likely to focus more on foreign governments than our country? I mean, just to, to sort of take the pressure off here. Well, you know, we certainly have seen that that um, he does like to try to find ways to distract when in, when when he's in trouble. So we could well see elements of of distraction still still out there, uh, attempts to distract. Whether that's to distract with with rhetoric and and um, you know attacks. He started off his political rally in West Virginia last night by talking about the NFL and the uh, and uh, people standing or kneeling for the national anthem. Uh, he's got those ways to go too. He could certainly try for. Foreign policy, although that's been that's been a been a bit tough. The one thing he started to do a lot of recently is use powers that are his alone, right? Things that he can do without needing Congress. So whether it's uh, issuing pardons or slapping tariffs uh, or 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 things like that, he has decided. Oh, wait a second, there are at least some levers of power that that I have control over, and foreign policy is one of them. Only about a minute here, but Democratic leader Chuck Schumer, in opening floor remarks today, said Senate Judiciary Committee should delay the hearing for Brett Kavanaugh because Trump could face legal matters that will come before the court. Do you think yeah. that will have any movement? No. Um, I think of, of all the things that uh, have kept Republicans uh, sort of backing this president through all the different you know, scandals and, and distractions and controversies, um, getting conservative justices on in the judiciary and particularly the Supreme Court is the top priority. Everyone's laser focused on the Republican side about doing this. There's no way they're going to let this thing slow down. All right. Thanks so much, Kevin. That's Kevin Whitelaw, Bloomberg News Deputy Managing Editor. Yesterday, a federal jury convicted Paul Manafort on eight bank and tax fraud charges, raising new questions about whether President Trump will pardon his former campaign chairman. On Capitol Hill yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer discussed Trump's reaction to the news. I understand the president's on his way to a rally. He better not talk about pardons for Michael Cohn or Paul Manafort tonight or any time in the future. Joining us is Brad Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. Well, Brad, let's start with that. When you look at Manafort's actions, has he been acting, playing his cards here like he's waiting for a pardon? 
Well, that's certainly one of two possible avenues that everybody's kind of assuming is what Manafort's looking for. Um, the reason of why he wouldn't have tried to make a plea deal, try to avoid the significant expense of the criminal trial he just went through, which was hugely stacked against him. And, on a, you know, not surprisingly, he ultimately lost on eight separate counts in which he was found guilty. There's always an assumption that either, A, he was angling for a pardon and he had some kind of reason or belief uh, that, the president would consider that the other option, the far more you know sinister one, is that he fears uh, being uh, being another accident of you know having been once connected to the Kremlin, as we all know from history now. And anybody who used to be tied to it and then goes off and ever talks about what went on behind the scenes always seems to find themselves into you know various uh, accidents of physical harm. Maybe that's the other thought of where it was going into his head. How important is this verdict in light of the fact that the jury could not come to a decision on more than half of the charges? Sure. I mean, it's still, it, look, it's still significant. It's still eight different uh, charges on which he was convicted. He's still going, at least the moment, he's set to be in jail for the rest of his natural life. And that doesn't even get into the fact that he's got a whole separate uh, second trial coming up in D.C. in a few weeks that has even more issues. Uh, this was by uh, by no means a victory for Paul Manafort just because it was a hung jury on 10 of the counts. It's still a significant problem for him. And so now he has to face the question of, does he want to try to go through another trial? Does he want to go through that expense? Is there any real benefit to it? Or is it time for him to finally make a deal with the Mueller team and divulge what, if anything, he's got? If he doesn't have anything of interest or value to the Mueller probe, there's no deal that's going to be had. It's going to be all over. He'll spend the rest of his life in jail. But if he does have something, if he has material information, now is the time for him to start talking with them. By looking at the counts the jury was able to come to a verdict on and those they weren't, can you tell what it was that held them up? Was it Gates' credibility? Was it confusion about the counts, the prosecution's evidence? Yeah, so I think it was a bit of a collection of all. So it's definitely, I mean, Gates' credibility certainly weighed on some of the problems they had coming to a consensus on some of the bank fraud uh, issues in particular. I mean, look, this was a very complicated white-collar case with a massive amount of details and nuance, and there was questions from the jury to the judge about the particular details of the statutory provisions on levels of ownership and how the civil corporations work. It, it's, it's difficult for even legal experts in the field to always wrap their head around it, let alone 12 uh, men and women, you know, just picked up from the streets. So it was never going to be an easy case for them to wrap their heads around anyways. But they were able to do it at least sufficiently with respect to those eight counts. The other ten counts, we don't know how many holdouts there were. Maybe it was just one person, maybe it was two. There was always going to be some confusion, but that's why the government loads up these indictments with multiple different counts to avoid anyone being the deal breaker. What about Manafort appealing? He could appeal, but again, the question becomes, to what end? He's got another case coming up next month. An appeal will take, you know, months, if not years. It will cost countless amounts of money that he has no way to replenish right now. He's certainly in serious financial straits. He's got his family to think about, his wife, his kids. You know, he's got to think about their well-being from a financial standpoint going forward. What becomes the true goal of an appeal at this point, other than to hold off the inevitable? Brad, now what about the prosecutors? They asked for a week to decide whether to retry Manafort on the charges the jury could not come to a verdict on. 
What will be at play here? Normally you'd say, what's the point? But is there an effort to put more pressure on Manafort? Um, I think it's something they're going to weigh in, in comparison with what they've got prepped for the September trial in D.C. There was already a notice of appearance about one of the new prosecutors coming on to run that for the Mueller team. So I think they're going to look at it and say, is there any real reason, is there anything anyone overlaps what we're already doing in D.C.? Is there any particular need of why we'd want to try those particular 10 counts? I don't expect that they will. Um, I think one way or the other, I'm pretty sure we're going to see some manner of a cooperation deal, assuming Medical has anything of value before the September trial even starts. Um, or otherwise, he'll be going into jail for the equivalent of two lifetimes. It's, just, it's all over for him. So let me ask you the other about the other case yesterday. Um, in light of this that we've heard about, is the Manafort case more troubling to President Trump, or is the Cohen case more troubling to President Trump? The Cohen case, from at least the immediate standpoint, is far more damaging and significant uh, from a political and a legal standpoint for the president, because that one, unlike the Manafort case, directly implicates the president in a crime. It directly indicates that he directed and instructed Michael Cohen to violate campaign finance laws and commit two separate criminal offenses to influence the course of the election by depriving these two different women of the ability to talk out and speak out and describe what they knew and what that what had occurred between them and Donald Trump and deprive the voting public of the full amount of information before they went to vote on election day. That is a serious that's gonna cripple him from a political standpoint. It's gonna raise the prospect of impeachment going forward if the House and or the Senate flips to the Democrats. And it just raises an even greater legal cloud surrounding this White House as they are on multiple different fronts trying to hold off the siege of private and government litigation against the president personally. Thanks, Brad. That was a great description of what the legal situation is. That's Brad Moss. He's a partner at Mark Zay. Michael Cohen's attorney says that Congress should open an investigation into whether President Trump instructed his former lawyer and fixer to commit a crime. Speaking with Bloomberg earlier today, Lanny Davis said Cohen is willing to cooperate with any authorities. Strong evidence, I think it's conclusive, but let's at least agree that it's strong, that Donald Trump knew that Michael Cohen was going to be advancing money on his behalf to hush up the relationships with these two women and that it had a political purpose to it. Joining us is Robert Mintz, a partner at McCarter in English. Bob, it's curious, this offer of evidence, because there are all the evidence, there are thousands and thousands of pieces of evidence that were confiscated from Michael Cohen's home and office. And one would think that prosecutors already had whatever evidence there was. Yes, uh, there are a lot of questions that were raised by the Cohen guilty plea. And in some ways, it raised more questions than it gave answers to. You're absolutely right that the government seized lots of information from his home, his office, uh, the hotel room he was staying in. They took his computers. 
and you would think that they would have all that information and have already gone through it. Uh, and they may, in fact, have done that. Uh, it may be that they concluded that Michael Cohn uh, needed to plead guilty, but that they have information to further their investigations. And what we'll be seeing is behind the scenes, they'll continue to work on this investigation, and we'll find out whether there are any other people who may have been involved in the campaign finance violations that Cohen pled guilty to. Bob, what do you think about Cohen pleading guilty without having a cooperation deal in place? He's still trying to cooperate. Is that unusual? Uh, it, it is unusual. You would have thought that he would have leveraged the information he had to try to get a cooperation deal, because as you know, if he doesn't have a cooperation deal, uh, he's likely to go to prison, I think, for uh, just about five years. That was a deal he struck with prosecutors. If he is cooperating, then, of course, he could ultimately face no jail time at all, all of that depending upon what the judge does at the end of the case. So you would have thought, based upon his public statement, and his proximity to the president, both before he was a candidate and after, that he would have had useful information and that the government would have been interested in striking a cooperating deal. But at this point, there's nothing to indicate that they have done that. That doesn't mean that that might not change in the future, but at this point, all we know is that Michael Cohen has pled guilty, and there doesn't seem to be any cooperation component to that plea deal. And and now we come down to the conflicting statements between Trump and Cohen. Uh, President Trump telling Fox News uh, that uh, he says he knew later on about these hush money payments, but Cohen said that he made them at the direction of the president. That that uh, it, that it was done with, with his with his approval uh, before they were made. So is this going to come down? I mean, if this goes anywhere, is it going to come down to, you know, the president's word against Cohen's? Well, it can't really come down to that at the end of the day. I don't think you would see uh, prosecutors moving ahead with a case uh, against anybody based solely upon Michael Cohen's uncorroborated testimony, given the fact that he had already gone on record uh, denying that the president had any knowledge at all and that other people had any knowledge. So he's really not a credible witness standing alone. They would need corroborating evidence to move forward. But it's possible, based upon his guilty plea, that there were others involved in the campaign who might have information related to this. And I think we can assume that prosecutors are pursuing those leads in the next few months leading up to the midterm elections where we will not see any public activity because of the elections, but that doesn't mean prosecutors are not continuing this investigation behind the scenes. Bob, Michael Cohen made that astonishing admission in court yesterday. Uh, and when a, a, So the, a lawyer is telling the judge that his client directed him to commit a crime and he pleads guilty to it. Now, if there was no evidence for that, would prosecutors have been able to stand by and hear him say that and not say something to the judge? Uh, yes, yeah, uh, typically the plea allocution, which is what you're referring to, which are the statements that defendant has to make in open court to admit to the judge that they are in fact guilty of the crime they're pleading guilty to, those questions have been worked out between the prosecution and the defendant in advance. So this is all choreographed. It's all been negotiated in advance. And there's going to be nothing that Michael Cohn says, uh, I think, that prosecutors will not have 
reviewed and approved of in advance, and they likely would have to have had some type of corroborating information such that they believe that the statements that are being made are in fact true. Okay, now the next question. We know that a grand jury named Richard Nixon as an unindicted co-conspirator. Could that happen here? Uh, it, it certainly could happen, and I think there are some lawyers out there who believe that it already has happened um, based upon the statements that were made in court. Um, but we uh, really don't know quite where this is going yet. Uh, an unindicted co-conspirator is simply you know, somebody who the government has reason to believe had knowledge of some illegal agreement and some step was taken to further that illegal arrangement. Um, but they're simply not being charged at this time. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll really have to see where this goes in the future and whether this is the first chapter in this public finance investigation or whether or not um, the end is simply with Michael Cohen pleading guilty. This question has been debated that I'm about to ask you, but I'd like your opinion on it. The Justice Department has a policy that it will not indict a sitting president. There, there, are, there are contrary legal opinions that a sitting president could be indicted. How likely is it for the Justice Department to move off that? Do you think that there is, you know, a change in policy ahead? Yeah, I mean, you're right, uh, June. This is a very hotly contested issue, although I think the balance of opinion is that the president cannot be indicted while he is sitting in office. The logic behind that is that the president has the ability to direct the Department of Justice, and the president has the ability to issue pardons, uh, presumably including a pardon of himself. And so it doesn't make any sense to indict the president while he is in office. Once he leaves office, of course, he no longer has those pardon powers. So I think it's unlikely that we will actually see an indictment ever. In this case, I think it's more likely to be referred over to Congress for impeachment proceedings if they actually believe there is enough evidence to warrant that. All right. Thanks so much, Bob. As always, a pleasure to have you on. That's Robert Mintz. He's a partner at McCarter and English and a former federal prosecutor. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce.